Jesus, to remind us, to show us our sin, to encourage us, to correct us, all of these things. And so we're grateful for God's word that he has given it to us. And so this morning, we'll have an opportunity to have it both read to us, to have it preached to us, and to be able to consider how it's lived out in our lives as well. So I want to invite Brett forward to uh, read to us from God's word this morning. Good morning. This morning's reading is from Psalm chapter 24. Uh, Would you please stand and listen to the word of God? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Thanks be to God for his word. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Our Lord, I I do pray that in our time together this morning, would you make much of yourself? As we consider your word this morning, as we consider how it is being lived out in the lives of individuals, would you make much of yourself? Uh, Would you be glorified this morning, even as we gather together, not just this Sunday, but every Sunday? The reason why we gather together, Lord, is to know you and to grow in love for you, to grow in our relationship with you, to become more like you. And so I pray, God, would you do that work this morning? Would you open up our ears so that we would be able to listen and understand? Would you open up our eyes so that we would be able to see something that maybe we have never seen before? Would you transform our lives so that we would become who you would like us to be? We can't do any of these things on our own, and so we trust in you and we ask you that you would accomplish what we are unable to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me just begin by saying Happy New Year to you, Seven Mile Road. It is a great joy to be able to gather with you this morning, to celebrate with you. You know, at Seven Mile Road, this is a, a real special Sunday for us. It's, it's unlike any other Sunday that we have. It's an opportunity for us to gather together to hear from one another. We have designated this Sunday as Testimony Sunday, a, a chance for us to kind of Think back to those uh, folks who live among us, brothers and uh, sisters of ours, to consider this previous year in their life, what God has been doing, his goodness to them. And so this morning, we'll have the chance to do just that. We'll hear from six people who will be sharing with us what God has been doing over the year 2014 and, and to be encouraged by that. But before we get a chance to do that, I just want to spend a little bit of time just sort of shaping our our 
uh, morning uh, together, to give us sort of a, a lens through which we would have the opportunity to consider these stories. You know, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, I think that if I were to say something like this, if I were to say God is worthy of all glory, I think that you wouldn't push back at that statement, right? Most likely you wouldn't push back and say, well, you know, I I don't really know if that's true or not, or uh, I have to really kind of think about that. No, because most believers, I would say, wouldn't have any difficulty with that statement because you do believe that God is worthy of all glory. Uh, Because you do know what he has done for you in his son, right? You have tasted of the goodness of the Lord. You are convinced of the, the love that God has for you. And so you would easily say, yes, God is worthy of all glory. But what if I were to say to you that everything that God does is for the purpose of bringing himself glory, that everything that God does is for the purpose of bringing himself glory. What would you feel about that? that? That God's glory is not just merely our response to what he does, but rather it's also the very goal and motivation behind why he does anything. Hear that. It's not just a response to what he does, but rather it's the goal and motivation behind why he does anything. It's not just that we feel and we see and we experience God's worth, and so we respond by glorifying him, by praising him, but that the very reason why God does anything is precisely for the purpose of being admired and praised and exalted. How would you feel about that? Because you see, that's not at all a a hypothetical question, right? When we consider the scriptures, when we consider the Old Testament and the New Testament, what we find over and over again is that that is absolutely true. You see, from the beginning, right? From the beginning, in everything that God has done, this has been his ultimate aim. Uh, From creation to salvation to every moment of joy and every instance of pain, what has been God's ultimate aim? It has been his glory. But don't just take my word for it. Let's consider the scriptures for a second, okay? So if we were to ask, why did God create us? Why did God create us? Listen to what Isaiah 43 says. It says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, says the Lord. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Or... Why did God make Israel his chosen people, right? Why did he choose these, these group of people and choose to act through these people? Why did he do that? Listen to Jeremiah 13. It says, I made the whole house of Israel cling to me, says the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. Or why does he go out of his way to do all that he has done to rescue the Israelites from bondage? When they were in Egypt and they were under slavery, why did he go through the trouble that he did to rescue them from what they were going through? Listen to Psalm 106. It says, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider thy wonderful works, but rebelled against the Most High at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake that he might make known his mighty power. Or if we were to just sort of lump it all together and say, 
why did God do anything that he did with the Israelites? Why did he ever choose to use his divine power to do anything for this people that he has chosen? Here, Isaiah 48, he says, For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. And maybe you can say, you know what? Maybe that's just God of the Old Testament, right? God of the Old Testament always seems just a little bit different than what the God of the New Testament looks like. God of the New Testament sort of loosened up a little bit, right? He's sort of just not like what he used to be. Maybe we could be uh, challenged to consider it that way. But lest we start believing that, consider what the scriptures say in the New Testament as well. Why did Jesus become a man? Why did he take on flesh? Why did he suffer even until his last hour? Why did he do any of that? Listen to what Jesus says in John 17. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son, that the son may glorify thee. Or, let's consider why did God save us? Right? Why did he send us his son? Why did he rescue us from our sins and, and, and take us out from the destruction that lied before us? Why did he do all of that? Listen to Ephesians 1. He predestined us in love to be his sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace. You see, brothers and sisters, the scriptures remind us over and over and over and over and over again. These are just a a few examples, but if we look all over, what we are reminded of is this, that God is all about his glory. In creation and in salvation, in every moment of joy as well as every moment of grief and sorrow, all of it is for one purpose. It's to bring God glory. It's to make much of himself. Now, here's the thing, right? If we were being honest with ourselves for a second, that, that should bother us a little bit, right? If we were being completely transparent, we should be put off by God's love for his own self in that way, for his love for his own glory. I, and I think that the reason why we would feel that way is because of two primary things. First, I think it's because we hate it when people act that way. Right? We hate it when people think that the entire world revolves around them. Right? That everything in this world is all about them. When the only thing that they care about is that everyone would care about them. Right? We hate it when people act that way. For example, right? Uh, Over the years, I've listened to a lot of Kanye West. I actually think he is a wonderful musician. He's actually an innovator of sorts when it comes to music. But you know what makes uh, Kanye West so difficult to like? He's just self-centered, right? You can just tell by the things that he does, by the things that he says, he is just full of himself. Again, don't take my word for it. Consider just a few quotes from Kanye over the years, okay? This is what he said. He said, I am God's vessel, but my greatest pain in life is that I will never be able to see myself perform live. (laughs) Who says that, right? Well, hear this. He says, I am the number one most impactful artist of our generation. I am Shakespeare in the flesh. This guy's full of himself. Or consider this one. He says, I think what Kanye West is going to mean is something similar to what Steve Jobs means. I am undoubtedly, you know, Steve of the internet, downtown, fashion, and culture. 
this guy is all about himself, right? And I think the reason why we either cringe or we laugh like you just did when we hear statements like that is because somewhere along the way, Kanye West began to believe that this world revolves around him, that this universe is all about him, that what is best for us is more and more Kanye West. But here's the thing. We know that that's not true, right? Kanye West is not at all the most important person in the world. But here's the thing. What do you do when the world actually does revolve around you? Or what do you do when everything that was created was actually created by you and through you and ultimately for you? Or what do you do when there actually is no one greater than who you are? When everything in this world actually does pale in comparison to who you are, what do you do then? Or you know what? Even if all of those things are true, I think another reason why we are so bothered by self-centeredness is because it seems so unloving, right? I feel like self-centered people are so concerned with their own praise, with their own glory, that they don't really care much about other people. Uh, Their love seems to be directed towards themselves and and not at all directed towards other people. Like Kanye West, I would feel like, could care less about you and me. What he cares about is that people would care about him. And that's what makes him so difficult to like. But then, as Christians, I think the problem that we face is this, right? If God's ultimate goal is to bring glory to himself, then maybe we should question his love for us as well. Because I think if we were logically thinking about it, we would say, if God is a God of love, then he should be all about us. But everything that we have just read makes it seem like he's actually more about himself than us. So what do we do with that tension? Well, here's what I believe the scriptures are teaching us. You see, the reason why God's self-centeredness is not only absolutely right, but also the most absolutely loving thing for us is this, right? It is because there is nothing that God could point us to or give to us that is greater than himself. There is nothing that God could point us to or give to us that is greater than himself. Uh, Listen to how the psalmist said it, right? Psalm 16, it says, You make known to me the path of life. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What is the psalmist saying here? He's saying, listen, our greatest needs as well as our greatest joy is actually all found in God himself. You know, when you love someone, right? When you love someone, you want to give them what is best for them in their lives, right? Whether it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend, whether it's a wife or a husband or a child or a parent, when you love someone, you want to give them what is best for them in their lives. But you see, for God, there is nothing greater for him to give us than himself. He loves us deeply, And what better thing could he give to us than himself? You see, God comes after us to give us what's best for our lives. But that's not ultimately health 
or even wealth or, or comfort or, or status or uh, our fame. It's not any of those things. What's best for our lives is a full-blown vision of who God is and the opportunity to have relationship with that God. And so if that's true, then there is no greater demonstration of God's love for us than what we find that he has done in Christ Jesus. Listen to 1 Peter. It says, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. You see, Jesus died so that we can know the one who is best for us. Jesus died so that we can be in relationship with the one that is best for us. You see, the only one for whom self-centeredness is correct, correct or right is God himself. Because you see, everything in this world actually does revolve around God. And it's in him that we are able to find the fullness of life and joy and pleasure. It actually originates in him. And so God is so loving that from the beginning of time, he has been all about himself. So that you and I would ultimately be all about him. That we would be pointed to nothing less. That you and I wouldn't settle for anything less than what we find in Christ Jesus. From creation to salvation, from every moment of joy and every instance of heartache and sorrow, he has done what he has done so that we would find in him the fullness of life, of joy and pleasure. Brothers and sisters, this morning we're going to hear from one another. And as we hear from one another, you'll hear great stories of joy, You'll hear stories of sorrow. Uh, You'll hear about things beginning. Uh, You'll hear about things coming to an end. You'll hear about great salvation. And my prayer is that in each of these stories, you would be led to see that the self-centeredness of God is ultimately what's best for us. That these stories would lead us to make much of him. That these stories would lead us to, to grow in our love for him that these stories will lead us to worship and praise the one who is worthy of all glory. And so let's ask God, would he help us this morning so that as we hear these stories, that it would be pointed back to him. Let's pray together and let's hear from our brothers and sisters. God, it is true. There is no one like you. Uh, Everyone else in this world does pale in comparison to who you are. And so, our Lord, I pray, God, as we hear these stories of of what you have been doing in our lives over this past year, Lord, would you remind us of how our ultimate treasure, our ultimate pleasure, our joy, our life is actually found in you. That regardless of what may happen to us, what we may lose, that we have all that we need in you. We thank you for the joys. We thank you for the struggles. We thank you for the salvation that you have shown us. I pray, Lord, would you make much of yourself this morning through every story. So I pray, Lord, would you help us to hear and to respond in worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John and Shelley, thanks for sharing. Um, We don't have anything near as profound to share. Um, But just, you know, in time of reflection and looking back, um, we've been in Philadelphia for three and a half years now, and, and Ashley and I both were thinking about 
when we first moved to Philadelphia and were looking for a church, and you know, we had this list of churches we were going to try, we tried them, we didn't really feel like we'd found that fit, um, decided that we were going to choose uh, one church that um, we weren't overly excited about. And the night before, we decided to get back online, one more Google search, we found you know, the website of Seven Mile and decided to try one more church um, and came that morning and just were immediately struck by just how open, friendly, and, and real um, the people of this church were. And Ashley and I both you know, remember sitting there thinking, gosh, I hope she likes it. And she was thinking the same thing. And uh, needless to say, we've, we've sort of not ever looked back. Um, and this church has a lot of special things going for it. You know, Ashley and I had been a part of churches before where people had put on the happy Sunday face and that's definitely not the case here. You know, we see just real people, um, and we've been able to share in your struggles and triumphs um, and vice versa. And I think that sense of community and seeing the gospel working through each of you, you know, even though there hasn't been a, you know, the, the giant life-changing event, I constantly feel myself corrected um, by many of you and challenged just in terms of my thinking or assumptions I've made um, and we've really been able to grow spiritually through that. Um, I think you also all know that the teaching we have here is, you know, to have a pastor a team that is both just openly human um, and also just such knowledgeable theologians um, really has challenged us. And, and we often think of those messages and sermons um, as we have challenges uh, through the day. And the other thing I think it, it really strikes us is we're constantly, I think, challenged and encouraged by the parenting uh, all of you do. Um, you know, we're overrun with children here. And somehow I'm always excited to have my kids hang out with your kids, and I feel blessed when we get in the car and, you know, Natalie's asking questions about Jesus and, you know, sometimes questions that I haven't even thought to consider. Uh, and, you know, the, the kids here say please and thank you and you know, tackle each other full force, but, you know, say I'm sorry when somebody gets hurt. Uh, and it's just been a real blessing to see that uh, and be encouraged in parenting in that way. Um, so I think as many of you know, uh, Ashley and I will be moving back to St. Louis um, at the end of the summer. Um, and so that's both exciting and bittersweet because this has really been our, our Philly family uh, in every sense of the word family. Um, so Ashley's actively making plans to throw away all of my possessions so that she has room to move all of you with us. Um, and, but we just hope that, you know, in the, in the search for a church that uh, we're able to, to find a, a family that has blessed us as much as this one. So um, I just uh, ask God's encouragement um, that he continues to be present uh, in the community here, that he continues to work through each of you and, and the many relationships that you have. Uh, this really is a special place. And we ask for God's blessing in 2015. Happy New Year. Um, when Pastor Benu originally asked me to give me my testimony about the past year, I thought, why would anyone want to hear my testimony? Basically, my idea of a testimony is when believers speak about blessings in their life or a challenge God got them through successfully, 
Did I even have that in 2014? As many of you know, my father went to be with the Lord at the end of February 2014, a year and a half after my mother. What many of you may not know is that I also lost several other loved ones between 2011 and 2014. So by 2014, I felt emotionally butchered, almost limp when Daddy passed away. Yet I have this comfort. As Paul told the Philippians for us as believers to live as Christ and to die as gain. So while we are on this earth, our sole purpose should be to serve and glorify him. And when we die, we reap all the benefits of being forever in heaven. Both my parents were believers. But it was because of my father particularly that most of my family had a personal relationship with the Lord. While he, like all of us, was not perfect and not all of his beliefs may have been in line with all of ours, his zeal for God and his love as a father was clearly evident. He was never ashamed to tell anyone about salvation and never sugarcoated what would happen if they didn't accept it. (laughs) From the world's perspective, many may not consider him financially or even professionally successful. But as former NFL coach Tony Dungy has often quoted, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Mark 8, verse 36. So what blessings do I have to proclaim? What challenge did I overcome with the help of the Lord in 2014? The answer to that is still ongoing. Yes, I have many blessings in life, many. And even more to look forward to after this life ends. But God helps me overcome my sadness and struggles on an ongoing basis. Think about it. Nothing makes you rely on God more than severe illnesses, pain, and enduring death of a loved one. There is no one else you can truly petition, not a judge, jury, or governmental entity, not the physicians, not even your family or friends. No, you are brought to your senses that you can only seek the only one that matters, your creator. And though I stand before you and say this, I will forget it again as soon as I step down from the podium. Because with me, as with many of you, this ongoing relationship is weakened by my human flaws. It has been and is often very difficult to pray since these events. Yet none of that matters because his grace and his mercy are not only sufficient to sustain that relationship, they are sufficient to ensure that I also will see my parents and other believers when I meet him face to face. Thank you and God bless you. Hi, everyone. Um, Being up here is not really something I'm comfortable with, so I'm just going to go ahead and read. Um, So 2014, what a year filled with trials and uh, learning for me and my family, has been a year of learning uh, what it truly means to find my identity in Christ. Although I'm still learning and still being molded, God has opened my eyes to so much this year especially. The year started off with a friend of mine who called me and asked me... um, talking to me about some very tough, thing, um, tough things that she was going through. And I emailed Binu asking for some recommendations on some online sermons and books on suffering that I could send her. She, um, he sent me, in a long, he sent me a long email with books and articles and a link to sermons online. One of the links that um, I checked out was Matt Chandler's sermon on suffering and um, his story on dealing with cancer. Who knew a week later I'd be diagnosed with thyroid cancer? One of the thoughts that I had was, wow, 
How amazing is God? He was totally preparing me. I was upset, but at the same time in awe of how amazing God was. Cancer. It was such a scary word. I didn't know how to even comprehend it. It was comforting to talk to so many people within this church and outside. Um, it had been a major. Um, it had to be major prayers from my family and friends because my attitude was, "Bring it on! I can handle this. This is not me. I'm a warrior and get stressed very easily." Um, I got into Penn endocrinology with for an appointment within two weeks. A true rarity in Penn, and um, a surgeon who just so happened to have a cancellation for in another two weeks for surgery. It all happened so fast. Surgery went well, but I felt very self-conscious about my scars on my neck. Um, I think I brought about 15 scarves the week before my surgery and was trying to figure out how I can sport one in the summer. About, about two weeks after surgery, um, I was just getting back to normal, and as a freak accident, I fell on my head and busted my head open and had six or seven stitches. Now, I had a nasty scar on my neck, scar on my forehead, two black eyes, and a swollen nose. It totally looked like I got beat up. I... I was self-conscious about what I look like and what people would think of me. About six weeks after surgery, I had a follow-up, and I found out that cancer has spread to the lymph nodes and will need a short radiation to top it off. I found another nodule on the side of my neck. I was frustrated because I didn't have time for this. I'm a mom, and I have clients to take care of. I went through a very strict, then I went to a very strict low iodine diet, and in May, during Mother's Day week, I... Um, had my radioactive iodine treatment, and had to be away from the kids and everyone in isolation for a week. About a week or two later, the side effects started. Worse than the surgery and radiation was losing my sense of taste for about two months. Everything tasted like mushy cardboard and ink. This was um, hard for me, especially because I felt like cooking was one of my only abilities God has blessed me with. And now I have officially lost that. If you can't taste, you can't cook. At, that, at this point, I wanted to scream at God and say, okay, I get it, enough already, 2014 sucks. Why um, I said this was has been a year um, of learning what it truly means to find my identity in Christ is because when I had my surgery and forehead scars, God taught me that my identity is not what in my scars or what people think of me, but in him. When I, had, when I had to go through radiation, he taught me that my identity was not in Tracy the mom or the realtor, but in him. When I lost my sense of taste and the doctors weren't sure if I'll get it back, Jesus taught me that my identity wasn't in my ability to cook, but in him. Poor Joey got the gist of my salty cooking for two months. Um, I am beyond praising God to say that as of last August, I'm officially in remission and my other tumor is shrinking. I just want to end this off with um, 1 John 4, 4, which says, um, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater, and that he, and then he who is in, then who he is, greater than he who is in the world. Thank you. I was sick last year, too, so bear with me. Uh, good morning, family. Uh, my name is Mike Bowder, and uh, I've been attending uh, Seven Mile Road for uh, about, about a, ha- a year and a half. Um, I just want to start by thanking my uh, Northeast GCM and especially my uh, 
my old soul care. Uh, without these um, these brothers and sisters, uh, I wouldn't be able to, to really testify to God's full goodness. <clears throat> We've all seen the movies where someone is quietly asleep in their suburban white picket fence house when suddenly they're violently kidnapped by a larger-than-life extraterrestrial spacecraft. It's not what happened to me, but... The next scene in the movie begins with the stolen earthling waking up, filled with utter trepidation as they quickly discover that they're not in Kansas anymore. The main character goes through highs and lows as they adapt to this new life in a new world with new people and new experiences. At times, they reminisce of days gone by and long for the, for the life that they once lived. The overwhelming reality of where they live now brings them back to the present, and this once unfamiliar land becomes familiar. Maybe it takes them a few weeks or perhaps a few eons, but eventually they accept and embrace their life as it is played out and no longer try to adjust the trajectory of where their life is going. Consider Jesus. He lived in the safest place in all of time and space. Actually, his home transcends time and space. He had the best neighborhood with literally the best neighbors, There were no arguments over who shovels the sidewalk or the neighbor's barking dog or how cars constantly run the red light out on Welsh Road. There was no discord. There was only harmony. And then all of his life was dramatically changed. We know the story. He was taken away to a foreign place among strange beings. The difference between the cinematic character I described and Jesus is that Jesus chose to do it and knew what he was getting into. So here's where I'm going with this testimony. I stood up here a year ago and gave you a synopsis of my 2013. If I were to compare last year's testimony to the movie example I mentioned, 2013 I was kidnapped from the life that I knew and was living. This past year, 2014, has been more of the getting used to the new life, a portion of the movie, if I were to compare it. Last year I told you about how loneliness, depression, Anger, suicidal thoughts, fear, effects of post-traumatic stress, and brokenness were the unpleasant hallmarks of my life as I went through divorce. But God brought me through it all. It was all in his plan, and I'm a stronger person because of it. Romans 7.15 says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. I give glory and praise and honor to God for 2014. When a soldier cycles out of a deployment, the process is called being redeployed. I was redeployed nearly 10 years ago from Iraq, but it took me nine nine years to come home from Iraq. As far as I know and according to what I've read, there is no cure for PTSD. However, I stand resilient to the trauma of war and combat. I'm no longer fully repressed by flashbacks, night terrors, or anxiety attacks. Though it may be inconsequential to some, for the first time in years I was able to watch a war movie with very little difficulty by myself. I even considered re-entering the military. The year 2013 was a year of regression and near disintegration of mental health gains that I achieved since 2005. Regression and disintegration wholly exacerbated by the unexpected end 
of a marriage. Romans 5, 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. The mental chains that bound me inside of my own cerebral prison were broken this past year. Romans 7, 21 through 23. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. It's hard to describe everything that was happening in 2013 and this past year, 2014. But those who have experienced the pain of divorce only need to spend 30 seconds in recollection to be subject to the exacerbation of old wounds thoroughly scabbed over. If each day is a new day full of new thoughts and experiences, then each day of the separation and eventual divorce for me was doubly new, with the addition of new pain, new loss, new doubt, new shame, new guilt, and new fear, but not without a purpose. Romans seven twenty four through 25 says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm not sure that I've ever heard a preacher or anyone else, for, this, for that matter, use the following analogy to describe how God uses hardships and violent change to actually help us and sanctify us. So try to follow along. Over the next two to three months, your car is going to accumulate dirt and grime from being driven through the winter, during, during the winter. It's a telltale sign that you're from the northeast part of the country. Some people won't wash their car at all. Some will wait until April, while others, like me, will be a repeat customer at the nearest car wash. It's simple. The car goes in dirty and comes out clean. The complex, ferocious, tumultuous, and refining part of the process takes place inside of the cavernous wash bay. The high-pressure spraying and heavy scrubbing and whirling brushing and tornado-like gusting are a perfect simile of the shaking, breaking, and remaking that God does for us. To quote my story from last year, God uses the broken and ugly things of the world to draw us back to him. We all know this verse, Romans 8.1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In so many movies, like the one I described earlier, the main character eventually ends up living happily ever after, but not until they've gone through adverse times. Jesus went through the hardest of hard times. We can't fathom what it's like to be absolutely divorced from God, pun intended, like he was. Before Christ believers had messianic prophecy, after Christ believers have the benefit of hindsight. We know that he had to suffer in order to live. The sooner, brothers and sisters, the sooner that we are able to accept this fact with the help of the Holy Spirit, the more flexibly resilient we will be against the sinful adversity that intrinsically resides in this life. The chorus from an old Bill and Gloria Gaither song sums up the reality of Jesus' death and life sufficiently. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. John P. Key said, There is a lily in the valley, bright as the morning sun. So if anything that I've said is striking a nerve for you, if the breath that I've exhausted has perhaps uncovered something otherwise hidden 
and your life, if the Holy Spirit is whispering in your ear, listen, friend, by God there is hope. I leave you with these words from the end of Romans chapter 8, written by our elder brother Paul, a saint who is intimately familiar with sinful adversity. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Excuse me, who who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or post-traumatic stress disorder or divorce? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Good morning. Each year when Testimony Sunday rolls around, I wonder if I'll have anything to say. I often feel like my life is an open book. Most of you know what goes on in our life, and there's not much left to share. This time I felt the same. Our church has walked with us from the beginning of last year, 2013, and most of you know our story. But I felt compelled to share with you how God has been with us throughout the year. I wanted to point out to you how he was with us in the most amazing ways and also in our quiet, dark hours. Last year, at the end of 2013, Ajay shared with our GCM how 2013 had been a very difficult year for our family. We have two beautiful children, and we got pregnant with our third. But without ever imagining it would happen, we lost that baby. God held us and walked with us through that year. At the beginning of 2014, we decided to try again, and we got pregnant. From the beginning of my difficult pregnancy, the church walked with us, providing us meals, praying, and so much more. We didn't see it coming the first time, and we definitely didn't see it happening again. In our second trimester, we lost our baby boy. We were left wondering and grieving. They ran tests on the baby. Perhaps there was a chromosomal abnormality. They ran tests on us. Perhaps some abnormality was surfacing that never came up with our other two children. Something that would provide us answers. Before the results ever came back, God impressed something on my heart. The tests are going to come back perfectly normal. They're going to find nothing. I am God who knit the baby together. Can you trust me and love me Knowing that I've allowed this to happen, the tests all did come back perfectly normal. And louder than ever, I kept telling myself and reminding myself the truth about who God is. 
He is a good father, and he knows what he's doing. We grieved a lot. Our children were sad. I was angry, not at God, but just angry, sad for months. All along, the Lord showed us his comfort through all of you. His body, as several of you, walked with us for months, listening, praying, allowing me to be angry and sad. A few months later, my dad, who is 75, he's been in good health for most of his life, all these years, and suddenly he started to get sick, losing weight and more. At that time began our trips to doctors and multiple tests, trying to figure out what was wrong. I would cart the kids with me back and forth from New York week after week. Initially, they found something in the pancreas, and they ruled out cancer, and we were so relieved they ruled out cancer. But Dad just kept getting worse. He went for a second opinion because his condition was getting worse. And this time, they confirmed a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. Pancreatic tumors are detected very late usually, and usually there's no treatment or cure. With Dad, thankfully, it was detected early enough so he could have surgery. However, we were told that with a complicated eight-hour procedure and then chemo and radiation following for several months, Dad was given a 15% chance of living for another, maybe another five years. Time was of essence, and we needed to move so quickly. There were times we were completely lost, not knowing what we should do. As we were praying, struggling through all this, one day I got a text from a friend I had not seen or spoken to in three, four years. Out of the blue, she sent me this verse. She she texted it to me, and this is what it said. I would have despaired unless I'd believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. First of all, I didn't even know who texted it to me. But I just went ahead and called her. And then I asked her, why, why, did, you, why did you just text that to me? And she said that she had been praying and the Lord laid me on her heart. And he impressed this verse and he wanted her to share this verse with me. How incredible our God is that he would use someone who is completely out of my life to let me know that he was still with us, leading us, and guiding us. We needed to find a surgeon in New York to provide treatment for my father. We were frantically trying to find one through insurance and all this when the Lord reminded me that John and Jocelyn, who who go to church here, they had trained in New York. So I contacted them, and immediately they contacted some of their old colleagues. Overnight, we had an appointment with a surgeon who offered to see my dad. How awesome is our God? How wonderfully he uses his children and provides through them. Through all of this, once again, God used this church to provide for us. I cannot even begin to express to you how much the emails, the texts, The prayers all meant to us and to our family. This is not to mention the number of times I texted Jay and Matt Johnson and Alex just asking asking them to help us figure out what to do. Dad had a procedure to put a stent in. Now, this was supposed to be a very simple procedure, but because of complications, 
It took several hours. As we waited in the hospital at that time, I remember with great sadness that it was that very week I was due to give birth. And it was really hard thinking through that. But God had a purpose. All through this, every time my dad, I accompanied dad to visits, every time he was admitted for some procedure, I saw my dad's faith in action, kind of like what Bincy was talking about, her father. Every single time he would talk to people and ask them if they knew Jesus, and he'd proceed to share from the Bible. There were so many times I'd want to say, Dad, just not now. Just don't share about Jesus now. They're busy. <laughs> and, then, and then I'd think, you idiot, this is what we tell people to do. Just sit back and watch him. And on several occasions, nurses, doctors who treated him, transport personnel, and they would, others would keep asking, why is he smiling so much if he's dying? From that on, we had surgery dates scheduled, but because of more and more complications, surgery got postponed several times. And all through these times, my parents and their church community was praying for healing. They were even praying that surgery wouldn't have to take place at all. Finally, a date was set, and Dad was admitted to the hospital for surgery. Just two days before the surgery, though, God laid it on my heart to talk to my mother. Did we really want Dad to go through the surgery at 75, this complicated procedure and, and chemo and radiation? Just did we want him to go through this? My mom wept tears of relief. Apparently, they had been praying that surgery would be postponed or canceled. I reminded her that with Dad's prognosis, without surgery, we would have him only for 6 to 12 months longer, unless God chose to prolong his life. She was okay with that. Next, I visited Dad in the hospital and had the same conversation. He very eagerly said no to the surgery. He had a talk with the surgeon a day before his surgery date and we brought him home. He confidently told us that whether the Lord gave him two weeks, two months, two years, or five, he was content. The Lord had been with him for 75 years, and he was happy if the Lord took him home. This was not a man giving up, but this was a man who had tasted and seen God's goodness. Something else happened the very week that God, Dad got admitted to the hospital. God miraculously restored a close family relationship that was completely broken. A situation which just over a year ago we would never have imagined would be healed. Without getting into details, my my parents received answers to a prayer that they had been praying for for many years. We brought dad home from the hospital knowing that my dad probably does not have much longer. But we experienced God's healing. As far as we know, he has not healed my dad's tumor. But God healed and reconciled a broken relationship, a hopelessly lost cause. When our family should have been falling apart, we truly experienced that peace that passes all understanding. All the while, we knew that people were faithfully lifting us up in prayer, and God was providing us comfort and peace. I kept thinking, if there's anyone out there who's thinking, how can my one prayer help someone else? 
And I want to say to you, please keep praying. I have been on the receiving end. We, our family, has been on the receiving end of countless prayers. And I'm so grateful. In preparing for this testimony, I called my parents and I asked them if there was anything I could share with you on their behalf. They wanted me to tell you, Seven Mile Road family, that they are eternally grateful for praying for Dad and for walking with us. They also wanted to encourage you that we have a God who listens and that we can all pray all kinds of prayers without losing heart. They are so thankful for each of you and for all and for the ways that you have been interceding for us, and they are interceding on your behalf. 2014 has been one of the hardest years that we have been through. We experienced wonderful seasons of grace in our marriage, but we would have never imagined any of the other things we went through. I have always admired strong men and women of God who stand firm through trials. I can humbly say that this was not my case. Although my faith did not falter, I was broken. I was grieved. I was angry at times, sad, and just plain weak. There were times I would look for an imaginary oxygen mask just because I couldn't breathe under the weight of all this. But the Lord would gently remind me, you don't need an oxygen mask, you need me. I admit that I'm not bold enough to look at 2015 and say, bring it on. I have no idea what 2015 will bring. But I know who God is. And in a few minutes, we'll sing a new song. I know that he's a good, good father. I don't understand his ways, but he is a gracious God who provides. We can bring our sadness, our grief, our anger, our doubts, and he can handle them. We can bring our sin to him, and he has made a way for us through Jesus. He is patient with us in our sin. He carries us in our suffering. He is powerful. He is awesome. He is God. And he alone is worthy of our praise. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us of your sovereignty over each of our lives and the stories that we have shared this morning. That you and your sovereignty allow both joy and sorrow into our lives. That you allow things to begin and come to an end. And you bring us great salvation, not just in reconciling us to you, but rescuing us from all sorts of things, even in here on this earth. And we realize this morning that not a single moment Not a single experience in our lives is wasted. All of it is used for your glory and our good. And so we are grateful that you are all about your glory, Lord. That you are constantly pointing us to yourself. That we may, that we are able to find the the fullness of life and joy and pleasure in you. And so, Lord, this morning we do confess that you really are worthy of all glory. So, Lord, would you continue to use our lives, that you would be more and more glorified through us, that you would make us more like your Son. Help us so that 
our lives would speak boldly of your love, your mercy, and your grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.